Welcome to the Holistic Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Blair, wife, mother of three, author of Holistic Wealth, and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. The show will showcase various experts in the key pillars of holistic wealth. Each week, we deliver the best information on how to become holistically wealthy and live your best life. Today, we have a very special guest with us, and that's Shanna Compton Game. Shanna is an MBA. She also holds a CFP certification. She is the leading expert for millennials on money, and she's the host of the popular iTunes podcast, Millennial Money, where it's been so successful. I'm happy to have been a guest on the podcast too. Shanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you here too, because, you know, we've had those conversations back and forth before I actually <laughs> launched and I've had you in mind from day one. So I'm glad we got this done. And I just wanted to ask you, because I know we're going to be talking today about the business of podcasting, but given your wealth of expertise and the fact that so many people are struggling with financial issues during COVID-19. I just wanted to get your quick tips for people who are struggling with their finances right now. Anything top of mind, Shanna? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. I think the first place just to really uh, start with is giving yourself grace. I mean, this has been a hard time for all of us, no matter what financial situation we're in. And so I think allowing yourself to have moments of just saying, it's okay. It's okay if you had to pick up some debt last year, this year. It's okay if things maybe aren't going exactly the way you want them to. It's also okay to have to reach out to somebody for financial assistance. I think we're we're really ashamed of a lot of that. I know I have some friends who have always had great jobs, always had great income in this last year, really through a curveball. And they had to reach out and, and take some financial assistance. And, and I feel like that can be really humbling for, for someone, but just to know that it's okay, that it's not always going to be this way. I spend a lot of time talking about money mindset because I think it is the most powerful tool we all have to achieving our our goals and really just to stay healthy and to not have all of those you know moments of dread and fear and stress around money but i would say the second thing is just to be really mindful of your spending be really mindful of what money is coming out of your bank account and where it's going i mean we could spend hours talking about all the tips and tricks to literally find money in your bank account that's just sitting there right now waiting for you. But just really be mindful of every dollar you're spending and kind of have that decision point of like, is this a worthy expense? Is this getting me closer to my goals? You know, I think it's okay to spend money just to have some fun because we all need a little fun. But but to really have that awareness around your money, I think, is is something else that is really important, especially this year. And I know when we roll out of lockdown, quarantine, wherever, whatever it is for wherever you are, there are going to be those impulses of spending a lot of money. <laughs> so really rooting in what are your goals? What is the vision for your life? And how 
do these expenses really fit into that puzzle? I think is another really important thing to remember. The money mindset is a huge thing, as you know, like I talk about the holistic wealth mindset a lot. And as you were talking, there were so many things that were coming back to me, both from not only the book, but you know, my own personal experience, because it's so true that we have to be mindful about what we're spending on and if this is going yes. to add to our holistic wealth bank account or not, you know, and and how far is this going to get me on my financial goals? And every single day, I mean, it challenges us to be mindful of that. You know, it's so funny. I was telling you that I have my kids at home. They've been doing online learning and I promised them last week that today we just take them out just for a spin, just to even get them like a burger or something. And and they said, they actually said to me, they're like, oh, I think it's been since 2019 or since lockdown that we haven't even been to any one of those fast food places. And I was just like, really? Has it been that long? And and that's (laughs) how long we've kind of even held off on that kind of spending because you realize how tight the situation is in terms of this economic situation. And it's just really, really, really being that strict about what we're spending on and do we really have to do that? But you mentioned the whole idea of having fun once in a while, giving yourself a treat once in a while, which is also important. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. Especially when there are kids in the mix. And so Shanna, like I know you started (laughs) out in film from university and you know, with a film festival and really like your passion comes through in so many things that you've done. And so it seems you're multi-passionate and you've explored that creatively, you know, through your podcast, through setting yourself up as an expert millennials. And so I just wanted to ask a bit about your journey and how women, especially women, can really use this to their advantage, especially when, you know, and it seems to me you weren't the type to just like sit at a day job forever and just like not just, you know, just I was never that type either. And I know there are a lot of people in this situation with COVID going, I'm dreading going back. How can I leverage my passions and my talents to just really do something worthwhile? Yeah, that's such a great question. And for me, I've really been on this pursuit for many years about figuring out what makes me authentic, what makes me me, and how can I then bring that to the world? How can I show up better for myself? But how can I also give you know, my talents to help other people? And I think the first thing to know is that it doesn't have to be in big ways. It could be in something very small. So I think we tend to think about needing to make that huge impact. And your huge impact could be something that you do in your family or with your friends or with your community. It doesn't necessarily need to be on a big stage. But I've always had this ever since I can remember as a young child, I've had this sort of burning thing inside of me that said, you're going to be on stage you're going to be influencing people. You need to step into that. And I've sort of fought that my whole life. When I was really young, I was a very competitive swimmer. They wanted me to go to the Olympics to start training for the Olympics at like a very young age. I'm talking like two or three. And I just thought, no, 
ah, I just like to swim for fun. Then when I was around seven, eight years old, I used those same sort of like broad muscular shoulders I have for tennis, got really into tennis. And my coaches were like, you could be a tennis phenom. And so they wanted to send me to the camp that Venus and Serena were going to. We would have all been together really cultivating the talent. And I was like, no, and I, I think I was like afraid of being that good. And so I have so many examples of that over my life of moments that I sort of cowardly backed out of. But when I went to college, I had this um, dream of being a movie film producer and thought, okay, as a woman, I have to do something to stand out. And so I created at the time was the first national student film festival and ran it for five years. And because of that, because of taking that bold move, over 150 kids got jobs and internships in the entertainment industry. Many of them now are like big time actors, directors, editors, you name it. But that's an example of me very nervously stepping into something that I felt called to do. And I've tried to do that my whole entire career, even though it's been, there is not a straight line. I got my MBA, I got my CFP, I started practicing in finance and realizing that really the, the call for me to be creative was where I feel like I should be. And that's really where my podcast got born out of. And again, it was just an idea that I had like on a Friday and on a Monday, I launched the podcast and that was six years ago. And, you know, we've had 15 million downloads in the time. It's a fully functioning business, but more than that, it's helped change people's lives. And I think that's really important for me to, to remember and, and connect to that, that me getting on a microphone speaking is helping somebody else. So again, I would just say, you know, really figure out like what makes you excited in life? What makes you feel really authentic? What can you bring to the world? Because we all have something. And I think if we all rooted in that, maybe there would be less comparison and just more of us showing up like saying, hey, this is me and this is what I've got. That's so true. Such wise words, especially on the point of comparison, because we're all so different and bring unique skills and talents to the table. And especially through our unique stories, like our personal stories are powerful. And so even using that to combine with our passions to help, you know, to help other people could be powerful. So Shana, you mentioned that the podcast now is a full-fledged business. Congratulations. Like it has millions of downloads and that's not easy. I mean, especially today where a lot of celebrities have podcasts. I mean, it's insane the amount of podcasts out there now. Can you tell us a bit about how to have a podcast that lends itself to being a full-fledged business, which is just amazing? How does that happen? And how do you even begin to put in place the necessary things that you need, you know, to reach to that point. Yeah, it's I wish I could say that I had the magic crystal ball formula for success. And uh, I get asked this question a lot. It's a little bit of like a head scratcher for me, but I'll tell you a few things that that I've really discovered. I think one is you got to know who you're talking to. So if you're 
starting to create a podcast, you got to really create in your mind, who is that like ideal person that I want to be listening to the show? What do they like? What do they do as hobbies? What gets them excited? What topics would they want to hear? And granted, you're making a lot of this up. You're making assumptions, but that helps then direct everything about your podcast from the name of your podcast to the description to episodes to who your guests are. So I think getting really clear of who you ideally want to speak to is really important. And so many people are like, well, I just want to speak to everybody. <laughs> but that that's a really wide niche. <laughs> so, you know, getting a little bit more narrow, I think is really important. And then also figuring out again, what are your strengths? What are your talents? What could you really share that is valuable to somebody else? Like if you look at the data around podcasts, people largely, like I think it was like 88% of people tune into a podcast to learn something. There are, you know, of course, all of those celebrity podcasts and really they could just, you know, I think people just push play on the on their podcast player just to hear people talk on those types of shows. But the large majority of people, they actually want to learn something. So can you teach them a little nibble, a little something in each episode that can either brighten their day or help them on their journey? That is what's going to keep people coming back and coming back to your show. And that's what's going to keep people sharing your podcast around to other people as well. So I think podcasting is still in its infancy. When I started six years ago, that was before podcasts were really what they are now. So I was fortunate enough to be able to be featured by iTunes and have like a top five podcast for months. <laughs> the only way that was possible was because it was at that point in time. But it also was at a point in time where I didn't really have to have a strategy and I didn't have one. <laughs> I was just like, wow, people are tuning in to hear me babble about money. Okay. But now I think you need a little bit, you know, you need a little bit of a strategy. You need to know who you're talking to. What's your point of view? Like what, what makes you either really frustrated about the topic you're talking about, excited about it? Like what is your unique point of view? Because again, that's what people, they, they need to connect with. You know, I think the cool thing about podcasting is it's like you're able to listen in on all of these conversations. And so if you can make people feel like they are sitting right there with you, hanging out with you, I have found like continue to be engaged, tell their friends and just keep coming back for more. That's amazing. And that's great advice, especially around being authentic, having a point of view, you know, in terms of what gets you frustrated or what gets you excited. Because we all have those pain points in, in life. And, you know, it's always good to hear those around us who, you know, share those views and can bring possibly even another viewpoint to the table. So Shanna, do you remember the turning point in your podcast when your downloads or your number of subscribers just exploded? Or was it just like a continuous like drip, like an, a slow and steady organic increase? Or was it due to like, for instance, getting some media exposure or... Yeah, I think that um, the first year I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and that was just a kind of continuous drip over and over again as I got better, as I really honed my episodes, as I honed the guests I was having on the show. So the first year for me was just like, uh, it was just a testing ground. The second year was where I started to get a little bit more serious 
And um, I, I really did then chase after guests. Like I started to think about episodes. I started to think about what would hook somebody in an episode. And then, you know, the structuring of the show, I started to think about segments. Like how can I make my podcast feel like a show, feel like it had some sort of structure. And so I really just like pulled it all apart and started to put it back together again. And that really started to change things. Then I started to be really poignant about asking people, share this episode right now with three of your friends that need to hear this. And I started to be just, again, really deliberate with my uh, calls to action. And I, cause I, I think it's really easy to just say like, oh, here, here's my episode and not really direct people. So I started to really direct people certain ways. And then I think it's, it's just a little bit of podcast magic. <laughs> when you start to have all of those pieces kind of come together, people start sharing, people start talking about it. The media starts to notice it a little bit. Um, the beauty of my show is that it has grown almost 100% organically. I've not bought any you know, ads. I've not totally chased after media. It's just stuff that has kind of come to me. And it's been through the process of just being really consistent with the podcast and being really deliberate. But I would say too, when I really started to change my thinking around money and started to say, okay, my point of view is that money touches all aspects of our lives. So we need to have all of these different conversations. And I started to really spread out what kind of guests I had. I mean, we've had Michelin star chefs and musicians and authors and money experts and you name it, like all sorts of different people. And that's what I hear back a lot from listeners is there's always a variety of topics. Like, you know, people ask me like, how have you thought of 675 different topics about money? I haven't. I've I've twisted them. I've had different angles about topics, but it's just not always just about like the strategies around money. So again, I think one of the most powerful things you can do is start thinking about your podcast like a show. How can you put it together like someone's watching a half hour or an hour show and entertain them because that's what they're also tuning in for. And for me, that was probably the biggest shift when I did those things, that's when the numbers like really started to double and quadruple. No, really good advice. And so Shanna, I just want to ask about monetization because, you know, people start out and they wonder at what point then do I get to monetize this? Can you remember at what point you started to think, okay, yeah, I think this is, this is good for monetization now. And how did you go about monetizing it. And as you mentioned, now it's a full-fledged business. And of course, I'd love to hear about that because that sounds amazing. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> starting with monetization, like what were your first steps there? Like lessons to learn from me is, again, I wasted, quote unquote, wasted about a year just sort of fumbling around, not knowing what I was doing. So I think if you can definitely find somebody that could be your coach or a good course or something like that can that can really help you with some of these small little bits and pieces earlier on that is that is better than what I did but I will say that the second year I was averaging somewhere around I would say around a thousand to maybe 1500 downloads an episode somewhere in that neck of the woods and I thought 
you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to be a little ballsy and I am going to reach out to money apps, money companies, um, anything that I think would be a fit for my audience. And I just started sending email pitches. I am the host of this podcast. I have X amount of episodes under my belt. I never talked about my numbers. I just said I have X numbers or, you know, numbers of episodes. Here are the guests I've had. I have a great audience. They love whether it's a new money tool or new, you know, whatever company I was pitching, I would just sort of spin it and say, you know, I would love to have you. We have a one spot open for, you know, mm-hmm. for a sponsor for four episodes this month or two episodes, whatever sort of came out of me. You know, I'd love to get your your company on board. And sometimes we would do like a series. I would say like, okay, I'm going to do a how-to money series and then go out and find a sponsor for those episodes. And I was really shocked. You know, the fake it till you make it, I think it's really real. <laughs> and I think especially for women, we get, a, we get really stuck in like, oh, what's my value? Is my value enough? Like we just overthink things. And so one of my mentors who is, who is actually male was like, stop overthinking it. Just start doing it. And I was like, okay. But when I started to do that, I was like, okay, I got a sponsor here and a sponsor there. And then, oh, let me try this. And so I started to piece together all of these things. And I would never talk about my numbers unless I was pushed in a corner to talk about numbers. So I wasn't selling on numbers. I was selling on value and I was selling on, I have an audience. You don't necessarily need to know the size, but I have an audience of people tuning in every time I have a podcast Mm. episode for money content. So what makes sense is they also need money tools. They also need, you know, X, Y, and Z. So that was really, um, you know, what happened for me. And then, of course, my numbers got bigger and bigger. So those conversations changed where people were reaching out to me. And then the 2017, I think I was approached by a podcast management house called Wondry and became part of their network. And so they did all of the kind of, you know, selling behind the scenes. And then I left them in 2018 and went with another podcast network that I absolutely am in love with. And so they do a lot of that. And then I can also go chase after my own deals. But there are so many different ways to make money of a podcast. That's what I think is exciting. So not only could you reach out to companies that would want to get in front of your audience, you could also have affiliate offers, just like how a lot of bloggers make money, right? You could become affiliate. And every time a listener goes and uh, makes a purchase, you you earn money off of that. You could start a, a Patreon channel or some sort of subscription-based out value-added option for listeners. You could uh, You could have a course, you could have workshops. I mean, ebook. I mentored a podcaster who was like, you know what? I just want to create an ebook and see how it does. I'm like, let's go for it. So they created a simple, I think it was like 25 page ebook and sold it for relatively low, like sub $10 price point. I think it was like $9.95. And she was making thousands of dollars a month just off her ebook. You know, so there are, there are just so many different ways to slice it that, you know, it's, it is you're fully capable of earning money off your podcast. And I think you should because we all, you do, I do, we all put out valuable content. And just like TV shows make money off advertisers, we should be able to as well. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Podcasting, as I've come to realize, is a lot of work and it has a lot of production value, especially when you want to get it done right. And, you know, and so like my husband, for instance, you know, he has a big film background and he's always just obsessed with the audio, you know, so much so that we've had to scrap whole episodes because he just cannot put out anything with subpar audio. And so I've just (laughs) been like, wow, this is so much more than just putting out a blog post. It's it's like quadruple the work of one blog post, I think. And so absolutely, I, I honestly think people should definitely be able to earn from that. And so Shanna, after you started your email pitches to potential advertisers, did you then make it more of a formal thing afterwards in terms of like a formal pitch deck or like a formal media kit? Or did it just go from like there to like getting into like a a media agency that was then managing sponsors and ads for you? Yeah, I always say keep it simple. So I get pitched from a lot of different podcasters and sometimes there's just so much information. I think if you have a one pager that has some pictures of you, that has some of your top talking points and a little bio about yourself, I think that's and maybe maybe just a small amount of demographics about your podcast. Uh, one other thing I would say, if you it, whether you're a new podcaster or more seasoned, do a survey. Send out some sort of survey. Ask your podcast listeners to go through it. Tell them it's five minutes or less. Maybe they win a free book or a free session with you or whatever it is, right? Get some data behind who is actually listening. What is their age bracket? Any information that you think would be relative to a potential sponsor, like the more data you have around those sort of things, the less focused you have to be on the numbers. That's what I have found. But I think you create a one sheet about yourself and that's what you use. Now, I would say that every potential sponsor where I deal directly one-on-one with them requires something different. Some people haven't wanted to see anything. They just listen to the show and want to be a sponsor. Some people have wanted to see a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. (laughs) So, you know, it's different for each sponsor. But I would say that if you have a one sheet that is well done, that looks professional, that is pretty much the industry standard now versus a a really long media kit. You know, they want to quickly, they want to quickly scan and see, okay, that's sort of their credentials, who they are. Okay. Here's some talking points. Okay. Here's some demographics about uh, their show. Okay, great. So I would say that that's really what you need. Now, granted, yes, I am with a management company. They do largely the the pitching, but I get the right of refusal for any sponsor on the show. I also create all the commercial spots in my own voice so I can give my point of view. But, you know, you don't need that to make money off your show. So I don't want that to be limiting or stopping somebody from from taking some steps. Put together a great one sheet Mm -hmm. and start thinking about who could benefit from getting in front of the people on your show. Yeah, no, great advice. And I have to ask, because I've been thinking about this as you're talking, you know, and I'm sure some people listening and are like, I wonder how I would know, for instance, what to say to a sponsor in terms of what to charge. How did you come up with that? Did you get that sort of information from like a mentor, a coach? Did you just do your own research to find out what the going rates were? How did you craft that whole 
That's a great question. Again, there's no right way to do this. So you can read a lot of articles. They'll probably tell you like, quote unquote, industry standards. I would say that I pretty much almost make it up for every sponsor differently. So it depends on how many episodes I am pitching them. If it's a one episode, that might be different than if I'm pitching. I tend to not do one episodes anymore, but that's how I started. I started with one episode. I started to think, well, you know, most bloggers make between like $500 and $1,000 a blog post if it's a sponsored post. And, you know, the industry standard for podcast advertisers are around 20 to 40 cents per thousand listeners or $40, sorry, 20 to $40 per thousand listeners. So I kind of had that in my back of my head, but every sponsor would be different. So I think the very first deal that I did, I had absolutely Mm -hmm. no idea what to charge. Like this is something that everybody faces. And it's a little bit of a guessing game. And it's, I always say, go higher than you really want to get. So it's the same thing. Like if you're negotiating for your career, go 25, 30% higher, go a number that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, right? Because that's when you know you're really valuing your worth. So I think the first deal I did was one episode and I... I think that I charged them or I put in the deck a thousand dollars the episode, which felt wildly crazy for me, like a thousand dollars for an episode. There's no way. And so the company ended up coming back saying, well, we don't have a thousand in our budget, but we have 850. And I was like, what? 850? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking I was going to be down around like $250 or 200 or something, you know, which I still would have been very, very grateful for. And so then I started to think like, okay, well, can I package things? Like, can I package some episodes? Can I do a a series? Can I, you know, I started to think about well, what are the things that cost me money? Well, editing costs me money. You know, my hosting costs me money. Can I find sponsors that end up covering those costs? And so I started to just get a little bit creative with it, but there really, really isn't a set in stone amount. I think you have to look at what type of show you have. You know, we're we're in the money business category and those tend to have higher rates for advertisers, but that doesn't always... That's not always the fit, you know? Um, So I think you have to just look at who are you pitching and really it comes down to just valuing your time. You know, an episode maybe takes what, two, three hours total of your time. I don't know. It depends on each person. So what's the value of that? You know, if if that's $500, that's $500. If that's a thousand, it's a thousand, you know, and, and start Start a little high, get get that number that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. I'll give you an example. I had a sponsor come directly to me last December and want to do something, or they came yeah. in November, yeah. wanted to do something for like the end of November, all the way up to New Year's. And they were just like, I don't care what your numbers are. We just, we love your show. We want to get on your show. And I technically already have... I have three spots per episode open and I technically already had three people in. So I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to carve out. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to carve out another spot because when somebody comes to you, that's, that's the good thing. So they were just like, you know, what's the price? And I threw out some like, just really for me was a ridiculous number. And they were like, okay, great. They didn't even want me to send them like reports you know, each week about the episode, they were just like, okay, good. Send us your spot that you record. They approved it off to the races. Go send me an invoice when it's done. So there just isn't one way. And I think if you could just open yourself up to just being 
creative with it. You're not going to get everything. You're not going to get every price, but that's okay. There's so many nuggets of wisdom there, especially when you spoke about packaging, because so many of us like you, Shanna, like we have other assets that we can, you know, when I say assets, I mean like, for instance, another website with another email list, you know, or some other asset that we can, some other digital asset that we can combine to make a package so that even if you're just starting out, you know, with this podcast, but you're already established, you know, with some other website or digital asset that can be used to package to make it more attractive for sponsors, especially when you're just starting out and you don't have much stats to share. (laughs) And it's hard to kind of even dissect those numbers, as you said, that's probably also a good strategy. So lots of good tips there. So Shanna, you mentioned that it's like a, a full business. Like, and I know you have your money mindset journal and you offer different services. So can you talk a bit about how they all kind of connect and how you manage to kind of make everything work? And also kind of, you know, is it that the podcasting is kind of the forerunner in terms of, you know, your business and how people can also kind of structure their services that way as well? They connect and they don't connect, which is really interesting. (laughs) I'm an entrepreneur. I tell people that I came out of the shoot creating things and ideas when I was born. So this is what I like to do. Yes, they they do connect. I mean, the podcast is something that I just never imagined could be a full-fledged business and I'm still growing it. I'm still learning. I'm still still shaping it and the good thing is people always need to know about money. So, <laughs> that's the positive thing. But um my new business is called Hello It's Me and it is e-commerce business where you create tools to help you live an authentic life. And our first tool is a money mindset journal. And the money mindset journal was really born out of a practice of me needing to work on my own money mindset and then working with hundreds and hundreds of people over 10, 12 years, seeing that this is what everybody was struggling with. And so can I put it together in a product and make it fun and interesting? And so that uh, is the baby that just launched in January, but that is its own separate, fully functioning company mm-hmm. that sure the the podcast will feed into a little bit, but you know, I'm starting my own podcast for for that company. So that will be sort of a separate entity as well. So they intersect, but they're not necessarily married or or tied to each other. And you know, over the last year, I've just got so many people that have talked to me about I have a podcast and I don't know how to make it grow. Can you help me? Can you help me? So I'm actually working on a really cool hybrid course for podcasters who have already launched their show and who are in that middle place of trying to figure out how do I make money off of this? And so I'm I'm putting together a, you know, kind of a masterclass, if you will, around that to, to really help people because I realized that I do know a few things about podcasting. There's still a lot that's a mystery, but <laughs> I could at least help with a few things that are really important to help podcast grow. So I've got kind of these three different buckets. You know, I move between those those three different buckets and all of those things, you know, help me feel really fulfilled. I the the company Hello It's Me with a Money Mindset Journal. I mean, that 
that's really um, the mindset journal is just, again, the first product, the kind of launching point, but I want to do other things, not necessarily related mm-hmm. to money, but other things around wellness in general and authenticity and helping people figure out how to show up in the world and be uniquely them. That is a whole other passion of mine. So, you know, I don't think that everything always has to merge and connect. I think that you could have lots of different ways that you're making money or that fulfill you. And I think that's what is really exciting about the kind of virtual media world that we're living in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I completely get your thought, you know, and your desire to not only talk about money, because I feel like it was that way for me. And that's kind of how we came up with the whole holistic health concept, because I remember my publisher saying, oh, just write a money book. And I thought, no, I that does not sit well with me. And partly why is because you know what I went through when my husband died. And I thought money is so critical. It really is. It's the foundation. But there were so many other aspects that got me through that tragedy that have nothing to do with money. You know, those relationships, the people around me who supported me, wellness in general, and what I did with my time and my mindset, which was like huge for getting over setbacks. And so absolutely, you know, and even on social media, sometimes the the post that I'm more drawn to write about is, as you mentioned, is showing up in the world, how you want to be and being authentic and really sharing. Exactly, exactly. And so I know sometimes I feel like I kind of disappoint my audience when I'm not constantly talking about money, but I really feel that within each of us is that spark, that purpose that we all have and that we were put here for, and whether it's to share money lessons for sure, but it's also just finding, as you mentioned, finding that voice and that authenticity and and being able to impact the world. So that resonates with me very highly. And so Shana, like I shared this free quiz that I developed with you and, and, you know, you read the book Holistic Wealth, so you know where I'm coming from, but I feel like, you know, if people can start to really identify their own financial identities and just really think about becoming self-aware and, and so that, you know, they can advocate for their, for themselves and, you know, make their own money decisions with confidence and I think it will go a great deal in terms of us being able to be more confident. So I know you took the quiz and I'm dying to hear your results. So can you share with us kind of your thoughts and your results around the quiz? Yeah, I think the quiz was so much fun to take. Um, There are a couple of questions where I went to push one answer and then I was like, okay, don't lie to yourself. You're really the other one. (laughs) I'm just like, this is crazy. Like I'm a money person and I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, rig the system. I'm like, okay. I I mean, like, I know what you're going to spit out at me, (laughs) but I think that's, that's, that's fun. It's fun. You know, it's just fun to think about money differently above and beyond numbers. And that's what you do so brilliantly. And that's what I, I love you as well is that you help people root into more than just because it's so much about, you know, the numbers and the checklist. Are you doing these 10 things with your money? And that's Mm -hmm. just, oh, that's just, I think really tarnished our society because it's just not that way. So anyway, I mean, it was just a fun, really fun to do the quiz and to, to think about 
the the questions and I'm probably going to get it wrong saying it, but I was a maximalist. Okay. I was like, I know I'm going to say I was a maximalist, which I think I could have gone several different in several different directions, but I'm definitely a risk taker. If I had, you know, $5 to my name, I'd be like, I'm going to put $5 in and I'm going to try and grow something or create something or (laughs) that is just me, which, you know, is why sometimes my savings isn't as big as as I would want it to be. But I'm always like, let's see what we could grow. Let's have fun with it. So, but then I also have a side of me that's like, I don't want to part with money. What if I need it? You know, and so I'm kind of this duality of total risk taker. And then on the other side, just like, you know, full on breaking out into sweat, panicking over, you know, should I do it? But you know, being an entrepreneur, I probably don't have as as big of a 401k as somebody who's worked 20 years in their career, but I'm okay with that. And what I love about the quiz is it really made me think about the life I want to live and the vision of life that I have. And I think we all need that because once you figure out that, you know this, then you can figure out, okay, what are the tools to help me get there? But instead we all try to like, well, let me use the tools. It's like, no, 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 but maybe that's not the right one for the life that you want to live. So especially last year has taught me a lot about myself, a lot about how I want to live life and that I actually have a choice and that I need to direct my money more in that direction. So, but it was a lot, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, That's amazing to hear. And you're right. It's so funny. I think we're kind of the same because while I was doing it and my husband is convinced I'm a maximalist, but I rigged it. And so I'm like saying I'm a risk taker. He's like, yeah, no, you're the maximalist. And I kind of know some of your kind of, kind of lifestyle you know, love to have. I know you love travel and adventure and I see you on your boat and I see those pictures and I'm like, yes, that's exactly me too. Like I, I love travel. I love experiences. I love seeing the world. And so I have a, like the special place deep in my heart for the maximalist. So even when I was, you know, (laughs) crafting this, I'm like, oh, the maximalist, I love, you know, that person who thinks bold and larger than life and you know, has like this big heart too, which I think is the maximalist wanting to see others happy and, you know, willing to go the extra mile to spend, um, you know, whether it's family members or kids to make that happen for them. So I, I feel like I have an affinity for all of them because I I hear what you said about feeling anxious, especially during COVID-19, because there's some times where I thought, I wonder if I'm the anxious spender because there's some days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's COVID-19 <laughs> will do that to you. But I know that each of us deep down kind of have this one that we're kind of more aligned to and it's kind of more aligned to who we are deep, deep down when kind of like there's no pandemic, you know, when there's no, yeah, right. right. And so, cause I've had people come on the show and they've said, can we have like a subcategory, like where, especially the entrepreneurs, They'll say, but we're all risk takers because we're, we're entrepreneurs. That's who we are. But for the ones who've identified as minimalist or maximalist, they've said, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm kind of both because, you know, I've started this business. I'm obviously taking risk. And so I wanted to follow up to ask you too, Shanna, with, with a maximalist financial identity. If you see that, how do you see that play out in your day-to-day life and even with your business? When you took the quiz and you thought back to like, yeah that really is me. Is there anything that kind of stood out about the maximalist that 
this quickly came to your mind, like, yeah, this is, this is really it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a wild world being an entrepreneur. So some days I'm terrorized and some days I'm extremely excited. I think just even the name of the word, you know, having the word max in it, I think that's how I, I think about everything. That is my approach at life. How can I live life to the max? Um, obviously within safe boundaries, <laughs> but I think just, you know, that it's okay to have big ideas and it's okay to chase after things. And sometimes the numbers don't always work out and that's okay as well. I think, you know, what I love about being a maximalist is just the journey is, has been crazy, not straight at all. And um, I think that's just what makes me me. Absolutely. And that's so great. And it's so great to be self-aware and to accept it and to be like, okay, I know this is me. I just need to put, you know, X, Y, Z things into place, but I'm being authentic because I, I really think about things in bold terms. And I mean, Shana, you've done well. You've grown your podcast in millions and millions and millions of followers and downloads. And so I honestly think that staying true to yourself, you know, and thinking about how can I do this to the max or how can I do this in a big, bold way has served you. And I'm glad when I have these conversations, you know, especially with female entrepreneurs who have said, yeah, like authentically, this is it. And this is how I think. And this is how I do it. It will help so many other people to kind of embrace who they are and, and go forth into the world and, and kind of channel that into something special. So I am so happy to have had you on the show today, Shan. It was amazing. I could talk to you all afternoon, by the way. So I know <laughs> it's getting to the hour, to the top of the hour. So can you tell our audience where to find you, your website, social media? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you if you want to check out my podcast, it's Millennial Money on any podcast player. If you're interested in learning more about the Money Mindset Journal, you can go to helloitsme.world and find out all about the Money Mindset Journal. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Shauna Game. Great. So thanks for being on the show today, Shauna. It was amazing having you here. I've learned so much and I'm sure the audience has learned a lot too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Holistic Wealth with Keisha Blair. Make sure to visit our website, KeishaBlair.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Are you a member of the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If not, what are you waiting for? Go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to choose your membership plan and join. As a member, you get so many perks, free worksheets, advice, coaching, and a member's workshop to design an intentionally designed life. You need to figure out your life purpose? Take the Build Your Life Purpose Portfolio online self-paced course. You're struggling with all your money decisions? Take the free financial identities quiz and then take the course. You recently had a breakup, job loss, or experienced the death of a loved one? Take the holistic healing course. You need an overall plan to achieve holistic wealth? We will help you figure out your holistic wealth blueprint. And of course, if you want to start making money by helping others achieve holistic wealth, become a certified holistic wealth consultant. 
Regardless of what career you've got, the Institute will show you how to increase your income and walk in your purpose. The sooner you join, the sooner you start to achieve a more holistically wealthy lifestyle. And you're going to want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning, best-selling Holistic Wealth 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose, Prosperity, and Happiness. 